Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for uh, those who have gone before, those who have given us uh, these, the formularies of the faith. Thank You for the Apostles' Creed. And that as we say it, Lord, we stand in uh, millennia of uh, tradition, of, of Christians who are uh, speaking these words, uh, stating their beliefs, who have used these words to be prepared for their own baptism, uh, who have used these words to articulate uh, the faith that they hold so dear. We ask God now that you would um, teach us, bless us, use us, and uh, draw us near to yourself, and make us uh, ever thankful for all that you have given us in yourself. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's say together uh, the Apostles' Creed, please. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. Alright, so we have, um, we have the Nicene Creed on the other side just for reference sake, and we will, um, say, we will take a look at that. Um, we are looking at this uh, highlighted passage, uh, uh, boxed in passage, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried he descended to the dead. That is controversial. Um, in fact, the Nicene Creed does not have that in there. So, uh, we will um, take a look at that. But we remember that uh, when we say, I believe, we are saying uh, credo, which we're saying not just mentally, I assent to the fact that. Uh, what we're saying is uh, that we are believing into, we're putting our trust in God the Father Almighty. We're putting our trust in Jesus Christ, uh, His only Son, our Lord. We are committing ourselves um, not just to the truths, but to the person uh, of God. So, last week we talked about, we began three weeks that we'll have on Jesus Christ. We talked about uh, His only Son, our Lord, and that we really did not get much to uh, Christmas incarnation. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And we're going to uh, talk about Good Friday, and we'll talk about Easter and Final Judgment uh, next, next week, before we hit, take two weeks uh, on the Holy Spirit. So, um, what we're saying is that Jesus is not, what we said last week, Jesus is not God Jr., right? He is eternal. He is the fulfillment of Old Testament expectation. Uh, He is, uh, by His role, subject to the Father, but He is of the same essence of the Father, meaning, and if God is eternal, God the Father is eternal, then Jesus Christ is eternal. He is without, like the Father, like uh, without origin. So, um, I want to say uh, quickly, He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We have, in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, appears to Mary. You are going to be very familiar with this story, almost all of you. Uh, Gabriel says to Mary, you will be overshadowed by the Most High. It's a really beautiful and wonderful uh, phrase. 
you will be overshadowed by the Most High. And of course, Mary uh, is this teenage girl, and she's baffled. She's completely uh, taken aback. And, uh, and he says that, that you will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be called Great. And she's like, wait, hold on, I'm, I'm stuck on number one, right? How, I'm not married, how am I going to have uh, a baby? And Gabriel says, it is going to be an act of the Holy Spirit. So, um, so you can imagine just, again, how, how many problems this would have caused. Um, you know, for her to come to her father and say, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm having a baby, uh, and I- I'm not married yet. I- and she was betrothed, and it would have been scandalous. Uh, for Joseph, who would have, I mean, we see in Matthew, he, Joseph would have divorced her quietly, because he was a, a righteous man, it says. But, but he would have done so because it was inconceivable that, that this would have been by the Holy Spirit. And yet... Uh, we have very clearly uh, in Scripture that, that this was an act of the Holy Spirit, and she was a virgin, she, um, and, and it was, um, we cannot give away the virginal conception. To give away the virginal conception is to give away the whole thing. It is very important that the Creed highlights both that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of, of a woman, born of a virgin. Because, by saying so, he was saying he is fully God, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he is fully human. He was born of a woman. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that he be both? Not just a great man, not just a spirit who, who um, shows up and looks like a man. Why is it important that he is fully God and fully human? Is he honoring man as his, his creation? So, Susie said, perhaps he's honoring man as his creation. Yes, maybe. Yes? Well, we can relate to him better. Okay. Sure. She said, we can relate to Jesus better because he was human. And so, he's human like we're human. He did, in fact, come to redeem the whole human experience. So, uh, that, there was a necessary part there. Yes, ML. If he wasn't human, he could not have felt all the ugliness of the human spirit as he did because divinity was a dividing line for him. He couldn't look at that. Divinity, divinity was a dividing line. So if he was not human, he couldn't have felt the whole the, the ugliness, uh, of the fallenness uh, of sin. Now, he was not himself fallen, uh, which is why he had to be fully, di- fully divine, right? He didn't cease to be God. And, and that's really one of the most remarkable and... and uh, amazing things about this gospel message about the incarnation is the the immutable God, the unchangeable God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that He changed. He became something. He became a man. So if He were only God, then then He could not relate to us. And we could not relate to Him. He would be, He is holy, He is totally other. And, And so... Um, he would be pure, but he would be unable to die because he was fully God. God can't die, right? But if he were only human and not God, or if he had ceased to be God or put his divinity on hold for a season, then he could not have been pure because he would have had a, an earthly father and an earthly mother. He would have, he would have been an, an heir of original sin. And so he, in order to be 
the sacrifice, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the unblemished lamb, that he had to be fully God to be pure and fully human to be uh, efficacious. Um, the Nicene Creed uh, is a, a little bit more explicit when it says, for us and for our salvation. So, the Apostles' Creed um, says that he was uh, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, but the uh, Nicene Creed actually says um, that for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. And that's important. He came for us. He came in order to save us. That, there, was, there was a reason for his coming. Um, and, and, that is, and yet what we see earlier in the Nicene Creed is that he never ceased to be God. He was begotten. He used to say he proceeds from the Father, but he is uh, of one essence with the Father. He was not born. He was not made. He was not created. We talked a lot about that last week. All right. Let's make sure. Okay. So it's interesting, like, in this transition, any, any questions about, I mean, surely there are questions about incarnation. Oh, man, my clock's gone. All right, I have to watch my watch. Um, any, uh, any questions about incarnation? So isn't it interesting that there's no mention of the life of Christ in the Apostles' Creed? Uh, no mention of his baptism or his institution of the sacrament of baptism. There's not one word about his teaching, about his healing, about the disciples and the Messianic community that were around him. There's nothing about the Pharisees and his interaction with them. Nothing even about the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, or that he fulfills Old Testament prophecy. Why? Why is that? Why would you think? He is the I am. He is the I am. Well, you are right about that. What is what does that mean? What difference does that make? There's no before, there's no after, there's always what is, and there is an immutable fact that can never be changed because he is total. Well, I agree with that, but I'm not sure why the creed doesn't include uh, this parts about his life and um, in teaching. I don't think it's necessary. Not necessary. Okay. This gets right to the meat of the coconut. It gets right to the meat of the coconut. That's true. It was too controversial at the time. What else? It established what might have been debatable. So what we're talking about, that's right, we're talking about the personhood of God, right? The, the nature of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we believe in. You know, like our vision statement doesn't say everything that we do. Um, it's it is it's a starting point. We do a lot more than our vision statement says. We are, um, but we are here to help people wherever they are in their spiritual journey to live into a personal, and intimate relationship with Jesus. But we do a lot more things. But sir, if you put that other in, you're limiting it. You're establishing limits. Okay. Because it says, "Oh, this is all they do." And if you put all that in the creed, well, blah, 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 then he can't do anything else. All right. I think it's just the gospel. It's yeah. just the gospel. It's the gospel. That's the word. So we're covering in the life of Christ the crucifixion, uh, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and redemption, right? The, the life and the teaching are wonderful, but 
But what we're talking about is, is that he came, why he came, and the result of his coming. So the life and the teaching are important, but they're actually not important without incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, exaltation. So um, somebody has asked me, like, which is more important? I, I've gotten at maybe you've wondered this. What's more important, Christmas or Easter? Easter? And let's throw in let's throw in Good Friday in the mix. Which one is more important? Okay. Easter. Can't have Easter without Christmas. If he was not God, then then he couldn't have risen from the dead. If he was not God, then it wouldn't matter that he died on a cross. If he didn't die on a cross, he would have had nothing to rise from. If he if he um, if he didn't have Easter, if he didn't rise, then then so what if God came? He died. You got to have them all. You can't say one's more important than the other, right? So they um, so I mean, you can say which one you like better. I mean, I like getting presents more than I like getting chocolate eggs. But I mean, but then again, I don't get to scream out Hallelujah a hundred times either. So on on Christmas, so. Um, so he, yes. The resurrection doesn't that. That's the whole tenet for Christianity. If you don't have the resurrection. Yes, the, you, Susie said that the resurrection is the whole tenet of Christianity. All of it hangs on resurrection. But if it, if he was not God incarnate, who cares? He couldn't. It couldn't have happened. Or he's like a superhero, you know, from another planet or something. But but he's not. It had to be that he was God incarnate. So Christmas has to be part of the story. But Christmas isn't a gospel. It, it is, I mean, I guess it is good news. But it's not, uh, if he hadn't done anything for us, then, then it's not. So, so you have to have them both. They, 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 have, they draw their own meaning from each other, Christmas and Easter. And that's why the creed holds them as both as important. The li- it's not saying that the life and teaching of Jesus isn't important. It's, it's entirely redemptive, but it's um, but it's not. It loses its importance without incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, exaltation. So, so this week we're, we we want to touch on. He came. He suffered. Uh, he died. You know, think about how in the gospel narratives, the last week. And especially the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, get undue airtime. I mean, you'd expect if you're just telling the history of someone's life, you kind of just go through it chronologically. And, and if he's 33 years old, then the last week of his life is just going to get a few verses. I mean, just a snippet. But we get a little bit of his, we get nothing of his adolescence other than in Luke, we get just a, that little thing where he's 12 in the temple. But. None of the other Gospels cover it until he is, um, he is about 30 years old. He's baptized. He comes out. The ministry is inaugurated. And then, I mean, with, with very little description, he is in Jerusalem. And you can, I mean, and Matthew takes a little bit longer, takes 15 chapters. John takes about six chapters, eight chapters to get to Jerusalem, to get to the triumphal entry. And then within that, it is, um, it is almost, again, within that, the last 24 hours are the, clearly the most important. Why is that? Because, um, uh, because 
That is what redeems us. That is what He came for. So in Matthew chapter 16, uh, some really important things happen in Matthew chapter 16. In fact, uh, Matthew has been building the case for his audience that Jesus is the Christ. In fact, we talked on that all last summer. He's building the case. Culminates in Peter's confession. Who do people say that I am? People say, you're John the Baptist, you're one of the prophets, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Matthew says, from that time, Jesus began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He must. That's an important word in that little in that thing. He had to. That's why He came. I'm the, you are the Christ. Great. Now that you understand that I'm the Christ, let's get it clear that you, I'm not the kind of Christ you think I am. I'm not going to sit on the palace throne in Jerusalem uh, and kick out the bad guys. I am actually going to kick out sin. And in order to do that, I have to be killed and I have to uh, be crucified, killed, die, uh, all the way dead, rise on the third day. Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 51 says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face. If you were to do a word or a study or a um, to uh, a search on that phrase, you just see all. There's several times in the Old Testament, someone sets their face to something. What they're saying is, it's um, they're deter- it's, they're determined. Uh, that is the path. They they are not wavering from that path. Why? Why? I mean, why did Jesus have to die? Why did? Why would he come to die? Why wouldn't he come to to live? I mean, that's what we want to do. We don't we don't want to die. We want to we want to live. Even some of the most faithful, God-fearing Christians I know, I'll say, how are you doing? And they say, I'm alive, better than the alternative. I mean, I'm not sure it is, honestly. You know, but, but, but um, you know, any time on this side of the grass is a good day. You know, like, and why? why? We want to live. That's a good thing. I'm not saying that's not a good thing. I mean, heaven's going to be better, but, but it is a good thing for you to want to live. Why would Jesus come to die, not to live? To teach us to live. Had to be the sacrifice. Because He came on a reconciling mission, right? He came, He didn't come to teach you about your best life now. They asked Him that. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. Right. He had to complete what they've been waiting for all these years. He had to complete what they've been wait, waiting for all those years, meaning centuries, right? Centuries. So he came to die. That that was his uh, he, that was his purpose. Thank God he didn't. I mean, he spent three years teaching us, and and we have so much we to to learn from him, and and he is our example. But he's only our example because he's our sacrifice. He suffered. He came. He suffered. Um, for our, no, no, let's see. Uh, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He suffered. Uh, I, I just want to say that there is enormous comfort there to think that God, in His subjecting Himself to humanity, subjected Himself all the way, and that He suffered. You, many of you, I know specifically, but all of you I know generally, um, because you're human, have endured suffering. Um, and and you have you don't have a God who is saying rise above, pick up your bootstraps, 
Suck it up. Get better. This is happening to you for a reason. You're being punished. It's not, we don't have that. We have a God who understands because he has experienced it himself. Again, that immutability of God. How in the world? This is what's so offensive to other religions. How you're saying that God was subjected to, to human human suffering uh, at the hands of humans. Like God would never be put himself under the wrath of humanity. But that's exactly what we're saying. And so we see that if it happened to God, it's going to happen to us. Suffering is a normal part of life. I hate suffering. I don't like suffering. I don't want you to suffer. I don't like watching other people suffer. And I certainly don't like suffering myself. And suffering takes on all its different sorts and forms. Personal rejection, uh, physical ailment or illness, financial difficulty, all sorts. Relational hardship. It's a normal part of life. We wonder, how can a good God let this happen and, st- and be powerful? How can God be good and powerful? Either He's powerful and He just doesn't care, or He's good and He's not powerful enough to keep it from happening. Right? That's a very... That's all, in fact, it's a hard, hard thing to overcome. It's a hard argument. And yet, if there is a God that we say is big enough to prevent it, then He is also a God who is big enough to have a reason beyond what we can see. It is in the valleys that He does His work. And I, I listen. I'm, I proclaim it with confidence, but I wish it wasn't the case. I wish He said, I, you know, hey, I'm keeping you out of the valley of the shadow of death. No, I'm walking with you through it. Yes. And there's there's a scripture, and I don't know where it is, but it's in the New Testament that says, if we want to share in Christ's glory, we have to share in His suffering. Sounds like the middle of Romans eight. And it kind of comforts me knowing that um, what I'm going through kind of makes me brother or sister to him because I'm sharing Yes. in both. I just want his glory. I don't want to have to deal with the suffering part. That's it. We want glory. Heaven, I don't want to have to deal with the nasty stuff. But he says we will. Ellen says, Ellen said, if you couldn't hear, Ellen said that it, it's a great comfort to know that he, if the scripture that says if we share in his, if we were to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. And so there's an invitation there. Thanks a lot, right? Um, yeah, I just yeah, you're cordially invited. No, I, I, it is with a regret. It is with a regret that I respond. Um, no, but that's where he does his work. I mean, if you never needed Jesus to come through for you, how would you grow in your relationship with Jesus? You know, I, Amy will tell you. I mean, I've, I've struggled with um, irritability. Sometimes that comes out as anger, just short temper, lack of patience. And, and I want it to be over. I hate that about myself. But I will tell you, there is, there is a real sense in which both I and my family know, because of that, that I need Jesus. <laughs> Last night, she said, you need Jesus. No, she didn't say that. Um, but I mean, that, that, it, is a, it is a beacon to me, that suffering to say, I, I mean, continually, that is where I know the forgiveness of God. Where's she going? Leaving on a jet plane. Don't know when she'll be back again. Um, so, so, I mean, listen, I hate, I, I really do hate it about myself. I promise Amy doesn't hate it worse than I hate it. Um, but suffering is a place where we can mo- often most deeply experience communion with God, forgiveness with God, uh, the abiding 
talk about our sermon today, are the abiding of God is because God, God suffered. Now, theologians uh, used to use the word condescension a lot. We, when we think of condescension, we think of you know, judgment, looking down on someone, someone's being condescending, um, they're putting them, exalting themselves above you. But actually, when, when theologians say that God condescended, he was rightly above us, and yet he stepped down out of heaven and came to be among us. You think about it like a king uh, stepping out of off of his chariot or or his you know riding through town, being pulled by horses, telling telling him to hold up, and he gets off and uh, sees a peasant shivering, taking off his robe. He's condescending. He's coming down off the. Uh, off the chariot and handing him his his robe for warmth. I mean that's it's an example. God has has condescended to us, uh, so that he it, it, it's a ama- and that is a grace to us. He suffered. Um, it says he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why would we give Pilate airtime in the creed? Why would we? Why would we get? Yes, Jeannie. It does. That's exactly right. It anchors it into history. This is not a legend. This is not King Arthur somewhere between 300 and 1500. Like it's, it's, it, Pilate was a Roman governor in Judea at this time in history. And it does. It anchors it right there. I think it's perfect. Perfect. Although you just cut five minutes off my teaching. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Doggone, I shouldn't have said that. Um, so Pontius Pilate gets it uh, not because he was a great man, uh, or even because he was the tool uh, of God, but because he he roots it uh, in history, and he was crucified. Now this is, I mean, it's so important that he didn't just die, um, that he didn't fall off a cliff, or somebody didn't sneak up behind him in the alley, you know, a dark alley or something. That he was taken, and that he was publicly humiliated. And offered, essentially, the, the cross was the altar of his life. He was placed upon the altar uh, of the cross. Uh, the cross was for notorious criminals. This was the crucial part of, his, of the substitution that he offers, where he goes in our place because he died the death of a criminal. In other words, of a sinner. Uh, and for you and for me, he did not die accidentally. He didn't stumble under the weight of his cross on the way up the hill. Uh, it is crucial that he was taken, that he was crucified, that he suffered that torture. Um, his death was on display, and it exposes the gruesomeness of human sin, the lowliness of the human condition. I mean, you know, you watch the news, humans are capable of terrible things. And Jesus came for it all. This is, this is where Jesus said, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. I just, I mean, I, I think I'd be screaming, if I was screaming anything, I'd be screaming, get me out of here. <laughs> there's this, I've said it before, but there's this uh, scene, very, very briefly, in The Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson's movie. Jesus gets to the top of Golgotha and He falls over and the cross falls one way and Jesus falls to another. And there's just this very quick clip where Jesus is crawling towards the cross. 
where any sane human would be crawling away from the cross. Get me away from this thing. Jesus crawling towards it. Uh, he came to die. And He died all the way. Now, people will say, if He rose again, then He probably, he probably wasn't all the way dead. He just, he just swooned. You know, He fainted. They were primitive people. They didn't know the difference. I mean, we could possibly, I've said this in the Easter sermon, possibly think that the fishermen, they weren't medical experts. But the Romans were professional killers. They knew what death was. They were going to break his legs. They checked it. He was dead. They poked, they speared him in the side just to make sure they didn't have to break his legs. Um, And that did actually fulfill scripture. But they poked him in the side. And blood and water came out, and which is what happens when you have this violent death that your lungs fill up with water. And so they would have pierced his, his uh, side and pierced his lungs, and water and blood came out uh, together. He was all the way dead. There is, there's really, I mean, it's just, it is, it takes a lot more faith to think he didn't uh, die all the way. Um, so, he was dead, he was buried, he descended to the dead. Now, oh, well, almost out of time. <laughs> yes, Cindy. You know when you talk about Pontius Pilate and it grounds it in history, but it's also the only three lines that we can actually, as humans, comprehend. I mean, the rest of it is all faith. Every bit of that's faith. That's fact. That's more of a... Um, yes. It, you actually can see, feel, touch the human suffering aspect of it. And you know what happened, and it's a, it's the factual part that we can all wrap our heads around. The rest of it is all faith. On the front end and the back end, it's all faith. Oh, that's that's helpful. Really, we can't really grasp the rest of it. Yeah, thank you. That's helpful. If you couldn't hear Cindy, she said that everything else is faith except these lines. These the, these are the facts. And Pontius Pilate not only roots it in history, but roots it in our own experience that we can relate. That's great. Thank you. All right, so he descended to the dead. Now, this is not in the Nicene Creed. And I've often wondered, why did they take it out of the Nicene Creed? I actually found out, or I found one brief reference in my um, research this week that said, actually, this was inserted into the Apostles' Creed in about the 4th century. It is, um, many would say, that it is a a completion of he died and was buried, he descended to the dead. It is is their way of saying he was all the way dead. if you look through the Old Testament, we see about uh, Sheol a lot. That's where everybody goes when they die. Everybody goes to Sheol. There's not, not the good people or the bad people. That's just, just where they go. Um, it's the place of the dead. And it was really, then there was this idea of Hades, which was a, uh, a sort of a, almost, almost like purgatory at a time, a, a place, not just a place of torment. Gehenna uh, is, a, is the place of torment. And, and it's really in the Old Testament, I mean, really in the New Testament, the, the idea of these three gets kind of put together. And there's a heavenly home that uh, gets for the righteous, and then a, a um, and there is a talk of, of Zion, sort of a, an afterlife, but it was, a, it was, it was progressive thought uh, in the Old Testament. But it wasn't, it wasn't an ascension. It was, when you died, you were in the earth, it was just... Well, to say to go down to Sheol didn't mean it was geographically below, but it was sort of in terms of worth, uh, in terms of the, the pleasure of the experience. It was uh, descent. <laughs> it, was, um, it, it was, you know, and the psalmist cries, how can anybody praise you from Sheol? It was, a, uh, it was just where the dead went. It was, they were dead. They were, they were all the way dead. 
So some would say that. Uh, but then, there, then we have this fairly obscure passage in 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse, verses 18 20. If you haven't read 1 Peter, it's kind of, I mean, it's towards the back of the New Testament. It's kind of hard to find, even. It's just little and small, and I just missed it. Um, so it says, chapter, of, cha- chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring, that he might bring us to God. I mean, that's, that's the gospel right there, right? Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirits. Now there's verse 19 in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Huh? It seems like what Peter is saying is that Jesus descended to hell, whatever Sheol, whatever the place of the dead was, and proclaimed to the spirits who were imprisoned there and offered them release. You can imagine that that is a much debated passage. (laughs) Um, Is he talking about? Now, there's also a a passage in Ephesians, I think it's chapter 4, where uh, Paul says if he... he Ascended, what does that mean? Except that he also descended. Well, he might be talking about his incarnation, or maybe he's talking about his descent into hell. So it's a little more, even more obscure in Paul. But Peter seems to be saying that there, and I would just say, wouldn't it be just like Jesus to show up in hell? I mean, he shows up, he showed up here, you know, in all of our mess. Now, we think of hell as the place of judgment. That's where people get sent to if they've rejected God. But didn't, don't we reject God here too? I mean, is it, is it that far-fetched to think that, that He would show up there? I've, I've heard of, uh, in, in this life, I've heard of Jesus showing up inside the mosque or the temple in, in, uh, in Saudi Arabia and, and appearing to people and they're like, get away from me. And He followed, I mean, I just, it's really strange stories. I've heard of several of them. Like that, people becoming Christians because Jesus appeared to them in a very unlikely place. Is it, is it really out of, is it, is it off limits to him? Isn't it part of his creation? Hell is separation from God and, G, and Jesus uh, ascended to us or descended to us. He, he came. I just don't think it's that far out of the question. And I typically, and I've got hands and I'm going to say this one thing and then I'm going to um, open it up for a second. Uh, but I think i I don't think I'm far off when I say it, that I think of him as taking our sin to hell because that would have been another part of our own experience, leaving our sin there and rising again. He left it there. So, all right, we've got some hands up, and then Jim and Ellen, and then we'll we'll need to be done. But yeah, um, our salvation is through Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus' death and resurrection happened after a lot of people had already died. They didn't have the opportunity to to accept his salvation. So the way that he could offer it to the dead was to descend to them. Mm-hmm. If he didn't do that, then we'd have to say that uh, anyone who died before Jesus um, is lost. Well, I don't know, but uh, Jim said that if we, if Jesus had to go and proclaim to those who were dead before that, I'm not sure that was is inside of the sort of realm of time. 
Um, I mean, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I, I think there is a matter of faith that God understood. And, and Paul says that in his um, forbearance, he overlooked former sins. So did David spend, I don't know, 700 years in Sheol and then and rise from the dead and when Jesus ascended to heaven? I don't really know how all that works, honestly. I mean, different scholars have different made different PhDs on it, but I, I, don't, I don't really know. Um, but, I, I mean, I think you're right. I think ultimately what we, what we understand is that God, there is very, li- very little limit, there is no limit to the grace of Jesus. And so he's, is it beyond His grace that He would go? Is it only in this life that Jesus offers us His grace. C.S. Lewis, if you've read The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis would say no. Ooh, I have that the Great Divorce is a great great little read. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I commend that to you. It, it's not a question that I can answer determinately right now, but I, I, I just think that that is the character of Jesus. Yes, go ahead. Last thing. Oh yeah, I was just going to say, in Revelation 1.18, the first thing I thought about was it says that he lived and was dead, and behold, he lives evermore, and he has the keys of hell and death. The he, so maybe Revelation the says he has the keys of hell and death. Yeah. So maybe so that's where had, they got the idea from it. He so he it. actually descended to hell? That's what, it says. That's what the creed says. Or, or it was he just all the way dead? There are, other, there are multiple ways to understand this. Yeah. I mean, you're saved, whether, you know, you're saved by grace, not by <laughs> having a proper understanding of Gehenna. Um, but it's interesting how they got that word picture from Yeah, him. it Not is. Having the keys, which makes him powerful. He's, he's Lord of everything. Of the devil and hell and heaven and everything and on earth. So well, it's interesting. The we word never hear the, the word hell was hell in the New Testament. It's not, it's not mentioned in the Old Chew on that. We're going to have morning prayer at uh, 1030, so join us for that. Amen.